So that just goes to show you, if you believe in something and you know it's coming from the right place, it's going to inspire change, then just keep going. The Ethicist Corner, a new podcast brought to you by the Kegley Institute of Ethics. Welcome everybody to The Ethicist Corner. My guest today is Ashley Blaine Featherson, an actress, singer, and producer who many of our listeners will know from her starring role in the Netflix original series, Dear White People, amongst other projects. Ashley will also be joining the Kegley Institute of Ethics on April 23rd at 6 p.m. for a digital lecture and conversation focusing on transforming your trials into triumphs. Ashley, thanks for joining us and welcome to The Ethicist Corner. Thanks for having me, it's exciting. We're excited to have you. So I think most pressingly, uh, how are you passing the time in quarantine? And do you have any strategies for us? Um, listen, <laughs> <laughs> quarantine has been an, a very interesting time. Um, what am I doing? I mean, I'm cooking. You know, the one thing I haven't done that everybody else is doing is I haven't made banana bread yet. I guess banana bread is like the thing you're supposed to do in quarantine and I have not yet ventured there. Um, I'm not really a baker, but I think I, I should do that because apparently it's healing and soothing to people. I mean, my boyfriend and I and our dog, Diva, we go on walks every day. That's like, we have to go on a walk. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, for me, like getting that vitamin D is always good. And we're binge watching The Sopranos. So, I mean, that's what we're doing. Wow. So, okay. It's so funny because I was actually doing the same exact thing. I've, I've seen The Sopranos through probably like three times already. And I'm yeah. still going back to it. Oh, my God. It's, so, I had never watched it. Like, it was one of my dad's favorite shows like, when I was growing up. It was like he loved Sopranos and The Wire. And so, I was like younger when they both came out. So, I wasn't as interested in them, obviously. Uh-huh. Um, it's like everything. It was like The Sopranos, The Wire, Sex in the City. I watched them all once I got older. Um, but anyway, Sopranos, we just started like two weeks ago, and I'm obsessed. All we say is Gabagool. We walk around <laughs> being like, I want some Gabagool. Like, that's all we do. It's our favorite word. You say it for everything. Yes, it's fantastic. So, what, what, so what's your, what's your go-to meal or snack in quarantine? What's the thing that you're, when you're feeling hungry or you need like kind of a pick-me-up that it's your go-to that you're going to eat? You know what's funny? I don't really have it. So my favorite like comfort type of thing I get, or it's the food that I get to like congratulate myself if I have like, I don't know, if an audition goes well, if I book something or just having a good day, I get frozen yogurt. But frozen yogurt isn't really popping right now during the quarantine. Yeah, I don't really know about the safety hazards with the frozen yogurt. You know, they have like the the toppings out and stuff. It just feels a little. So anyway, I haven't really been having my like vice uh, for I guess a month and a half, nearly. Um, Got you. <laughs> but other than that, I mean, it's just like whatever. Like I think really, it's allowing myself to kind of eat whatever I feel like eating in the moment you know what I mean that could be a clementine that could be a piece of chicken that could be some soup whatever it may be yes yeah no it's true you kind of got to just go with what you got in the house these days right yeah Yeah. like you can't be beggars can't be choosers these days yes so can you tell us a bit about how you came to acting as a career and was that was that something that you aspired to from a young age yes so um you know I always tell people like I feel like I, so I'll give you an example. I remember when I was moving out to Los Angeles, I was 20, just had turned 22, uh, literally like a month and a half prior. And I was moving to Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles February 1st, 2010. And 
I remember, you know, like I had a couple like going away events and whatever. And I remember people being like, you're so brave, Ashley. Wow. Like, so crazy. Like you're just going to Los Angeles, 3000 miles. I'm from Washington DC area. They're like, you're going 3000 miles away from home, you know, to chase this dream. And I remember even at that time, 10 years ago, being so confused as to why people were saying I was so brave, because for me, it just felt like just how everyone else was, you know, had started their careers in finance or politics or law or whatever, that I was doing the same thing. It didn't feel brave. It just felt like I'm going to try to work and have my career just like everybody else. Um, but I realized later it was because I didn't realize, I didn't recognize it as brave because it's what I've always wanted to do. Mm -hmm. It's who I always was. It didn't feel like some brash decision. I had been saying I was going to move to Los Angeles to act since I could walk and talk. So mm -hmm. it really just felt like the next step in my life. Uh, um, but so I say that to say, I mean, yeah, I've been doing this since uh, I could walk and talk at whether it was, you know, I did my first production when I was four, uh, the three Billy goats gruff at my wow. Montessori school. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've been in voice lessons, acting classes, dance classes, literally since I was three or four. So, and, and I was inspired to do it, I think, because of my older sister. She's nine years older than me. So I always, you know, naturally looked at her as like, ah, oh, like she's my big sister. And she was always into theater arts or cheerleading or whatever. And so I think that early on, that kind of gave me the, the inspiration. But my mom's a singer too. My mom's always sang. And my parents, uh, particularly my dad, really loves entertainment. He he reads a lot but he's like he's a movie expert a tv expert so i grew up in a household not only that encouraged it but also helped foster it right that's yeah that's it's it's interesting because i mean i can relate to that too and first of all the billy goats gruff shout out i just want to acknowledge <laughs> that because i i had not thought of that story since i was a kid i actually it's funny i remember i actually remember being because there's like uh, illustrated version of the book my parents used to read to me and there's something about it used to scare me actually i think it was one of the one of the well, billy goats yeah it's funny you say that because <laughs> i was cast this is like i'll just make this story short but basically i was cast as the lead billy goat and you know my parents were like all excited and hype i came home and i was crying and they're like why are you crying like this is exciting you got the lead part mind you i'm four years old and i was <laughs> like no but i don't want to be a billy goat they're mean and my dad was like, so what? Like, cool. Like, play. my dad kind of likes those types of characters anyway. He's like, great, you're the villain. This is perfect. Yeah. And it was at that moment that I realized, I was that young. And even at that age, I realized, like, acting for me wasn't about just being the lead. It was about playing roles that, that I felt like could manifest inside me in a way that could really touch others and and you know so and, and it's so funny when I look back at that I was like I was doing that at four so anyway I went back to school and was like listen teachers thank you for the opportunity I don't know how I said this in a four-year-old voice but I did and I was like listen thank you so much for the opportunity I really appreciate it this is my first starring role I'm really grateful however not really feeling the billy goats I would really love to be a bunny and they were like, but the bunny doesn't have any lines. And I was like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine, it's fine, it's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll find a way to make the bunny shine. And I did. And my parents were so, when I went home, they were like, why would you give that role up? But I look back at it now and I'm like, even, you know, you have to make choices in your career. You can't just take everything you're given. And a lot of times it'll be wrapped up in a pretty bow as a lead character. But that doesn't mean that it's the role for you.
Right. Interesting. That's a good point. So you talked about, you know, in terms of this you know, trajectory of your career and doing it from such a young age and the influence of your family. And you know, you're from Maryland. I'm, I'm from Maryland too, by the way, actually. Uh, Salisbury, Maryland, Eastern Shore. Yes, Eastern so, Shore. Wow. Yeah, spent, a lot, spent a lot of time in D.C. One of my brothers lived in, uh, went to O-American and was in D.C. So, oh, cool. I, yeah, so we got that Look connection. Look at that, Marylanders. Yes, yeah. exactly. So Maryland, <laughs> shout out. Um, I miss Blue Crab, by the way. Uh, it's, it's so funny. It was exactly what I was saying. Blue Crab and Old Bay. I oh, just, oh, I have Old Bay. My, my kitchen is stocked <laughs> with Old Bay. Yeah. <laughs> Best seasoning ever admitted, hands down. For sure. Um, so you attended Howard University, and um, how did attending an HBCU influence and shape your career as an actor and an artist? Mm, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so here's the deal. So I grew up in the suburbs of D.C. So I grew up in Gaithersburg, Maryland, uh, and I really kind of lived like a dual life in the sense of like, I grew up and like went to school and my home was in Gaithersburg, but kind of everything else was in DC. So my dad is from DC, he's from Northeast DC. So we would always go into the city. Um, our church was in DC. My mom had lived in DC since she was 17 years old. So it was like, we were in that area because it was, it, it was it's home for all of us. But I, I didn't just, I say that to say, I didn't just stay in the suburbs. But me deciding to go to Howard, one, I, I, I chose my mom's a Howard alum also. Okay. Um, but two, you know, I've really been looking for a school. I really wanted a school that had a really diverse and successful alumni that came out of the theater arts department. Mm -hmm. And so I did a thing where like I applied to uh, like I, I did the Tisch, you know, NYU, I did the Emerson thing, I did the Carnegie Mellon, like I did all those types of schools, but I also did the How, I did Howard, I did Spelman, you know, I did HBCUs too. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm grateful that I went to Howard because truly Howard was the place that, you know, I feel like we have such a large amount of particularly black artists that have come out of, and not even just actors, I mean, poets, scholars like you know just people you know directors producers whatever it may be singers right but I feel like going to Howard shaped my career most in making it very clear who my first priority is mm -hmm. so you know acting is I love acting because I'm able to provide a mirror for myself and for, and for people that are watching the content that I'm doing, because that's really what it's about, right? You want to watch television, you want to watch plays, you want to watch film, you want to listen to music and you want to be moved. Like that's the point. Yeah. You want it to be able to share, whether it's laughter, sadness, fear, regret, whatever it may be, that's what you want to do. Like literally last night I was watching an episode, uh, episode of The Sopranos and I had to pause and like burst into tears because it just triggered something. It had nothing. It was Obviously, this is about like the mob. So it had nothing to do with my personal life, but there's there's layers of it that did, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I say that to say, going to Howard, I realized black women have to be my priority as I go into this career. Mm -hmm. Because one, we don't have but so many options and so many choices of people that are doing that. And so I need to be someone that is doing that in my career. I need to make sure that I am um, steadfast and clear about when I'm taking these roles that, that I'm not ambiguous. I'm a black woman because we deserve to see ourselves on the screen. We deserve to feel 
validated and seen and appreciated and beautiful and all those things on screen because that's what I always loved and appreciated and that's what always encouraged me and helped me going and I knew that I needed to do the same thing particularly for black women but young women too um, which is why I'm so grateful for Joelle on Dear White People because that's mm -hmm. exactly it's almost like I manifested exactly what I wanted and in a way I kind of manifested me taking my experiences of college you know a lot of actors don't go to college so i'm so grateful that i did because who knew that i would be playing on this college show that's it's completely about this college experience yeah um it's a little it's obviously kind of the inverse of howard it's obviously a, 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 a predominantly white university and i would yes. do it at black school but yes um that's what howard did for me howard made it clear wow like i want to Everything I'm seeing every day at Howard, the beauty, the, the intellect, the, the passion, the drive, I want to bring that to the world at all times through my art. And, and so, you know, and you mentioned uh, Dear White People and your response there. And, and I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the show, by the way. I think it's such a rich show. And I, I you know, I was reflecting, I've been re-watching Dear White People, um, you know, kind of leading up to your talk tomorrow in this interview. And I really appreciate how it deals with so many important themes in a really kind of, to me, it's just like a really unique way. But I mean, it's able to deal with race, race relations, mm -hmm. sexuality, friendship, interracial, interracial relationships, so many other elements. Um, in, in a really kind of interesting, emotionally powerful, and, and also like humorous way too. And I'm wondering if you think is there a, a way in which a TV series like Dear White People can approach those topics in a, in a way that you think is like partic particularly productive for people to have conversations about them, say, as opposed to, you know, literature or political speeches or some other approach to those topics? Um, or, wh or what do you think is most impactful about the show and wh why are you inspired by it? I think what's most impactful about the show is that we're unafraid and unapologetic. That's what I love most about the show. It's a show that from the title, people are like, wait a minute, are you sure? Wait a minute, I don't know about this title. Wait, what does mm -hmm. this mean? You know, it's from the title, Justin was like, I don't care, because it's not about that. If people want to, you know, it's a, a friend of mine just told me the other day that she has like some, uh, um, she's on the show with me too, but she has some, uh, what do you call them, neighbors in her like apartment community. And they were like, oh, hey, you know what? We've been meaning to catch up on your show. What is it called? Um, I Hate White People. And she was like, no, it's called Dear White People. And they were like, oh, same thing. And it's not, yeah, you know what right. I mean? And these are people who also have not even watched the show. Mm -hmm. So they don't even, know, if they were to watch one episode of the show, they would be like, oh, got it. I get it, Dear White People's name on her radio show, got it. You know, like people have no idea, but, but that's what I appreciate about it because that's how you move people. That's how you, that's how you inspire and ignite change. That's how uh, you can be transformed after watching a series. And that's what I found have happened with people. But the people that do watch our show and have gotten into it, they are also appreciative of the content that, that we're creating. Because like I said, it's, we're unafraid and unapologetic about, about the content we're creating because it's bigger than us. It's bigger than all of us. It's not just about, we don't, we don't look at it as like this fun, cute college show. It's like, we're, there's messaging in there that is so important that saved lives. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like literally, literally has saved lives, has, has made people 
who maybe grew up racist not be racist and be like, this is insane. I don't want to be this way anymore. So I always want to do work like that because I can't tell you how fulfilling and how much joy it brings me to be on a show that is so impactful and important and timely and timeless, to be honest, too. You know, that what we're dealing with in Dear White People, I think that particularly in America, will always be messaging that will be, unfortunately, will at least for the next 100 years, for the rest of my lifetime, I think that these, this will still be messaging that is important and worth discussion. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that you bring out really nicely in the show is that, I mean, it's this idea that we're a post-racial society, right, is not, I mean, it might be a good soundbite, but in, in, in actuality, right, and, and including on college campuses, but other aspects, that's not, that's not the case. It's something that you need to address, right, and you need to, and you can address in less or more productive ways, and one of the ways it seems you're doing that is through this, this show, um, For sure. which to me is really impactful. Um, I mean, another aspect of this that actually I, I was just watching yesterday was the uh, A Great Day in Hollywood video. Oh, yeah. Photo and, and the recreation of A Great Day in Harlem photo. I think that was mm -hmm. from 1958. Yeah. With, yeah. Um, all the, the jazz musician greats. And um, can, you, can you talk a bit about that initiative and, and kind of in the context of the conversation we're having? I was really, I was really struck by that. It's, it's, I mean, the video itself that, about the project was really captivating. Uh, but the photo is awesome, too. But... What was it like to take part in that? And, and why, why do you think that's such an important initiative? Oh, wow, yeah. I felt really honored. Honestly, I felt a little lucky. I was like, thank God. I mean, I just happened to be on this show that's on Netflix and they invited me to be a part of this. <laughs> um, but um, one, I'll start out by saying I really appreciate Netflix for it. Netflix really, you know, in my time there, it's, it's grown a lot too, but I just really appreciate their focus on their artists of color. You know, mm -hmm. whether it's their Latinx initiative, whether it's, you know, their strong Black lead initiative, which I think is just beautiful and I feel so appreciated by it. So with them doing a great day in Hollywood, that that's kind of just an extension of that. And it was a beautiful day. <laughs> no pun intended, but it really was. It was a beautiful, great day. Um, and it was nice because I think that all of us who were there and took part in it, realized how iconic it was, realized that, you know, 50, 60 years from now, other young artists will be looking at this photo and being like, I didn't know this person was in this or knew this person or wow, they're all in a picture together or that's cool. I just started watching this show from 40 years ago. That, you know, you know whatever it may be. And I think also it just was one of those moments for me as an actor. I mean, at that time I had probably been in LA, I guess, eight years where I was like, I'm on the right path. Like if I'm here in this photo with these people enjoying this day, then mm -hmm. although this wasn't specifically part of my dream, this is my dream. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the cool thing. And I want to talk about this tomorrow, particularly at the, the lecture, is that to achieve your dreams, it doesn't just have to be the dreams that are in your head. The best dreams that are, that are achieved are the ones that you realize is a dream in the moment. Mm -hmm. The best dreams are the dreams that are bigger than you because you couldn't have even dreamt them for yourself. And that's what that was for me. It was something that I didn't, why would I have been 18? Like, I would really love to be in a picture on the Netflix lot with, like, no, no one's thinking, you know, that's too specific. At yeah. the time that I was dreaming the dreams of being, just being an actor, I was, 
you know, 16 years old and there was no Netflix, you know what I mean? Like that, you yeah, know? So yeah. it just was one of those things where it, to me, it's like a wink from God, the universe, whatever you believe in of like, oh, this is just like a little bonus one. Like, oh, you weren't thinking about this, but I'm going to throw this one in there. Enjoy. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah, that's a really great way of, of putting it. I mean, I, I think that's it's fascinating. I, and I know another talk of yours, I was watching um, earlier this week and you talk about kind of finding your tribe, right? Mm-hmm. And how, how, how important that is. And that seems like a, just such an incredible instance of that, right? Yeah. This group of beautiful people and um, uh, just, I found it really, really powerful. So thanks for discussing that. Um, of course. You know, and, and one, one theme too, this is, uh, you know, that I've, I've been thinking about giving your, your talk title, Turning Your Trials into Triumphs, is I know in recent years, but including with you know past projects that you've worked on for Black and Sexy TV and, mm-hmm. and other, and other uh, previous work you've done, these themes are relating to resilience, self-belief, empowerment, and focusing, as you noted before, on kind of these messages for Black women, but, but also that how important these messages are generally like kind of across the spectrum. And what makes those themes so important for you? I mean, how did you kind of arrive artistically at this idea that like these are the messages that I really want to kind of focus some of my art and my, my work on getting out there. What led you to that? I think what led me to that was, was recognizing and feeling the void of it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like it was, you know, when Lena and I came up with Hello Cupid, you know, there was no scandal. There was no insecure. There was no mm-hmm. Dear White People. There was no uh, How to Get Away with Murder. There was no all of the shows that are on BET now that star Black women. There, mm-hmm. I mean, the list goes on. There was no Think Like a Man, whatever it may be. There, there, were, there were none of those. We kind of gotten out of that kind of Black Renaissance boom that was big kind of in the 90s and you know, kind of the early 2000s. And we were kind of in a little bit of like a, I would say a down slump, you know, particularly when I moved to LA in 2010. I mean, they're just, I I could not go on TV and flip through the channels and see myself in nearly the same way that I do now. Like, Mm -hmm. I would say that it's improved 85%, literally in 10 years. And I'm really grateful for that. And people are always asking me, which I actually kind of hate this question, but they, they always ask me, I mean, how long do you think we have? Like, do you think that, you know, basically like, was it just a phase, mm-hmm. you know? And to me, my answer is always, not if I have anything to do with it. That's not right. my plan. Mm-hmm. Why would I speak into existence? Yes, you know, I do think that this is probably the last year we have to be seen. So, you know, I might as well just quit the business. And you know, like, I would never, as long as I'm, breathing and able-bodied, then I'm going to continue to collaborate with people that are pushing the narratives forward that I believe in, and I'm going to create them. That's, that's what you have to do. That's why, that's why I'm an artist. And I think that the biggest lesson that I can impart to young artists is when you are feeling like you're having a tough time in your lane or the lane that, 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 the, that the industry is telling you you're supposed to be in, create your own, just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I grapple with saying it because I know how daunting and how horrifying that sounds. And honestly, intimidating. It sounds like, how am I supposed to do that? How am I? I don't have the money. I'm a struggling actor. I'm a, but it doesn't have to be that. It could literally be you getting together with your tribe and, and workshopping things in your studio apartment. It doesn't have to be this grandiose, you know, you don't have to get a, take a loan out for $15,000 and try to create a short that you don't even really believe in just to say that you put out content. Mm-hmm. It has to come from the right place. But 
it always comes back around. The things that my friends and I were, were laughing about, joking about, creating, spitballing 10 years ago has all come to fruition. Right hand of God. That is no, uh, I'm not exaggerating. This, this is the God's honest truth. You know, for example, Justin Simeon, who's one of my dearest friends, also the writer and director of Dear White People, at the time that he was writing the movie, Justin was a publicist hating his job and could barely pay his rent. Look at where we are now. Yeah. We have the movie that's come out. He's had a book that's come out and we're about to start shooting the fourth season of the show. So that just goes to show you, if you believe in something and you know it's coming from the right place, it's going to inspire change, then just keep going. It'll come back around. You'll get a random call one day of someone like, hey, I was talking to a friend of yours and I hear you have this project. So crazy. I'm the new studio executive at Amazon and that's the exact show we're looking for. Are you available for a meeting tomorrow at four? Like that is what, and again, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow at the top. You have to stay fired up for life because if you're not fired up about life, then you'll miss those moments. And those are the moments that solidify, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm worthy. This is what I've been working for. This is how I'm changing. I'm changing the spectrum and the scope of the world. Like that's what it's about. That's awesome. That's yeah, man. Super inspiring. And I think kind of one of those things too, where sometimes we're stuck in positions where thinking, you know, I don't like my job or this is maybe something I I really Mm. want to be doing, but I have to do it. And you're pointing out the ways in which, you know, if you believe it, you can make it happen. Right. And I think it's, it's really inspiring. Thanks for sharing that. So Ashley, we have this tradition in our podcast called the lightning round. We have five just short questions that kind of help our listeners get to know you a, a little bit better. Love it. I'm obsessed. Let's awesome. Go. So the first one, you are a singer as well as an actor, as some mm-hmm. people will know. If you were stranded on an island today, uh, what three albums would you want to have with you? Oh my gosh. Ooh, <laughs> I'm stranded like for the rest of eternity? Uh, <laughs> for a long time. Okay, got it, got it, got it, got it. A, a rescue okay. plane might be coming, but it's having a hard time finding you. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I'm going to go with The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Oh, nice. I'm going to go with, oof, this is the hardest question I've ever been asked. Maybe like a, a Richard Pryor concert or something like that on a, on a record, you know what I mean? Like a lot, so I could have some comedy and ooh, maybe I need some kind of upbeat. That's what I'm searching for right now. I'm just, I'm such like a neo soul slow song person. So I, I was going to say like Jill Scott's first album. So I might, I might do that. But yeah. I need like a good, like, oh, maybe I would do Drake like views uh-huh. or something. Like maybe that would be like a good, like I could have like some more dancing type of music. Yeah, I'll do, I'll have it, I'll throw a Drake. All right, there. that's a strong lineup. That'll keep you, keep you busy for a while. No, not views. If you're reading this, it's too late. That's what I'm <laughs> There Sorry. you go. I'm nice. nice. <laughs> uh, question number two. What is the best advice you've received? Hmm. Hmm. Ooh, okay. Best advice I've received. This is going to sound very simple, but you know, sometimes it's the advice that's simple. That's the best, but it's, everything's going to work out. Mm -hmm. And I say that because I feel like I've spent a lot of my life being worried about things that I have no control over and the things in which I've worried about the outcome may not have been what I wanted, but it was always what I needed or it was what, or it was better than what I wanted. 
Mm. So I say that to say, even in the midst of some of the most horrible things you can imagine that can happen to you in your life, it's going to be okay. Because I believe that the universe is always working on our behalf. It's never working against us. That's not, that's not how it works. You know what I mean? Like if this universe is creating beautiful nature and replenishing itself, it's Earth Day today, which is exciting. Um, you know, if it's able to do all of those things to build something literally out of nothing, then it can do the same for me too. So that's what I believe. Nice. So uh, next question, if you could have dinner with anyone, let's say tonight, you know, quarantine ends, you can go out to dinner and you can have dinner with anyone you want, past or present, who would it be and why? You said we're going out to dinner? Let's say, yeah, you're going you're gonna to go out to dinner in LA tonight. You can meet anybody, past or present. Okay. Um, who would it be and why? It would be probably my... My, I'm actually surprised I'm saying this. It'd probably be my great grandma. And it would be her because I didn't know her very long. So she passed away when I was like, I think like eight or nine. But she was such a force in my Nana's life and my mom's life and my, um, my aunt, babe, my, my grandma's sister's life. And my dad talks, like everyone in my family talks about her in such a way that she was such a force and I think that we were, there were a lot of, we were alike in many ways. And I would just love to just kind of have a night to get to know her a little bit better, honestly. And I feel like I am her wildest dream. Like, you know what I mean? Like me, you know, she was a tobacco farmer. You know what I mean? Like she picked mm -hmm. tobacco and was able to in rural North Carolina in the 1940s put both of her daughters through college like that you know that's really unheard of and so for me to be like an actress living in Los Angeles in 2020 I'm sure you know all of that hard work all of the time she spent on her knees and fields you know like she's probably like you know what this is what it was for so yeah. I would love to have a moment with her. Ashley this is a Maryland question. I had to throw Ooh. one in. Uh, what is the most Maryland thing about you that folks from? <laughs> <laughs> the most Maryland thing about me is probably, uh, <laughs> this is so crazy. The most Maryland thing about me is probably, well, it's a half, it's a half and half. It's my love of seafood, but uh -huh. also my ability to make a really good Old Bay um, seafood pasta. It's so funny you talk about this because I was just literally last night before I went to bed, I was like, I literally said out loud, I was like, I could really go for some of my seafood pasta right now. And I was like, why am I thinking about this at two o'clock in the morning? This doesn't make any sense. But I would say that's a, it's a very Maryland thing. It's like, it's literally like a Maryland dish and it's yes. my favorite thing. And as soon as summertime hits late spring, I'm like, I have to start making it. So that's pretty, that's pretty Maryland. Like I'm just obsessed with crabs. Yeah, I'm crab. me too. I'm a bit of a crab cake snob, I gotta say. That's like Oh, me too. Oh my gosh. Crab cakes in LA <laughs> are bad, bad. So much filling. See, the thing is people don't know about Maryland. There's nothing really in it, but crab. Yeah, yeah that's right. They don't know. You know, but they I don't. I know. Yes, that's right. <laughs> All right. And uh, last, uh, last but not least, what's, what's an example of one thing that people who are not professional actors don't understand about professional acting? Oh, whoo. Um, oh, this is a good one. How many, okay. So one of the reasons why I find acting to be very difficult and why I'm so, so oftentimes impressed by actors, even me as a professional actor, when I watch, you know, movies or, or scenes and TV shows that I love is because 
people don't realize how many times typically you have to shoot a scene. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, when you see these performances that are so moving or so hilarious or so physical, I don't think people realize that that scene might've been shot 17 times mm. from 15 different angles. Right. So you have to keep, you have to keep that performance up. You know, a scene that you're seeing that's 30 seconds, an actor could have, that could have been the entire shoot day. You know what I mean? So that could have been 10 hours of shooting this one scene and people have no idea about that. And for me, I remember when I first, you know, was acting professionally in Los Angeles, particularly for film and television, that I hadn't even really thought about that. Like I, I figured it was like shot maybe a couple of times, but there's times in which like, especially for instance in Dear White People, when we shoot those like group scenes, like the caucus scenes, there's so many people you have to get coverage of. There's so many angles you have to get. Like there's been times we've been shooting, we've been in this, in the student union shooting scenes for literally 12 hours. So that to me is the thing that I want uh, people who aren't professional actors to keep in mind because imagine having to keep up that emotion or that comedy or that physicality for an entire work day and, and there's a camera in your face. Right, that's, that's, I mean, I can relate to that even, you know, as a, as a teacher, you know, giving lectures and stuff, if I had to do that, you know, 15 times in a row, I mean, it's exhausting just doing it once, right? So yeah, Yeah. I can, I can empathize. Sorry, quickly. I know we're coming to a close. There's one more yes. thing I'd like to add. Sure. Another thing that people that aren't professional actors don't realize about acting is that sometimes when we're doing scenes, we're not actually talking to a person. Because mm. of the angle, we have to like say the line to an Apple box or an X on the wall or whatever it may be because that's the best thing for the angle and a person can't be there for it because a camera has to be there uh-huh. so some of your favorite scenes the actor might not have even been talking to somebody else and do you like visualize somebody when you're doing that no it's that's that's not really my method i just i just have to accept the x on the wall and, and just still bring out the emotion myself gotcha. <laughs> weird, like, to me that would be like too confusing and like weird like envision a face to <laughs> those like it's just weird yeah. got you I, Ashley, this has been really fantastic and fun and, and thanks so much for for taking some time out of your day to chat thank with you. us. Thank you. No, this is a great, honestly, this is my favorite way to start a morning. So I really appreciate it, Michael. And you're amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you. I really appreciate that. And we'll be seeing you tomorrow night for the talk. We're excited and uh, yeah. looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Get ready. Yes, definitely. Take care. You too. Thanks. Bye. If you are interested in viewing a rebroadcast of Ashley Blaine Featherson's April 23rd lecture, Turning Your Trials into Triumphs, message KIE on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram for the link, or contact KIE at ethics at csub.edu. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.